Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Heavenly Father, thank you for the name that's above every name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. What's in a name? William Shakespeare once said, what's in a name? He said that that by which we call a name, by any other name would smell just as sweet. Well, Shakespeare, if you remember, that was a nice thing for Romeo to say, but everyone died pretty much based on the name. And uh, so a whole lot is found in a name. And you might know it. I don't know if you love the name that your parents gave you or you loathe the name that your parents gave you. Maybe you've contemplated changing the name that your parents gave you. I know in year four that we had to write a name, our name, of um, our, the name of, our name, personal name, do it in beautiful writing on a title page and then write our name's meaning underneath it. So of course, when you're looking up your name's meaning, everyone's asking each other their name's meaning. If your name's Bromwen in year four, that's not a good day. I don't know what the Welsh were thinking, Jordan, but, but it's not okay. And, uh, and, and I, like, it was awkward enough in year four, and my mum obviously didn't think it was awkward enough when she named me Bronwyn, but then she gave me a key ring last year with the name Bronwyn and its name's meaning on there as well, and that was not a good day either. So um, I, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. You can Google at home. Um, but, but names are given to us, and... And I don't know if you've been given names or right now you could recall names that you were given. You might have been given an endearing and loving name by your parents. Mine was Boombuster. That's what they called me. And uh, maybe you, like me, your parents gave you a name like Boombuster. Maybe you, like me, your siblings turned that into Fatty Boombuster every day of your life. Maybe you were like me and you got given a name based on your appearance. Maybe you were like one of my siblings who got given a name based on one of their attributes. She dropped a few cups and was called clumsy for years following uh, maybe you were called a name based on a mistake that you made. I was being told about a friend who, she was introduced to someone called Boots. And so for 15 years, called this man Boots and eventually said to him, why do they call you Boots? And it turns out that he was on a camping trip and slept walked, slept walked, and, uh, and, and mistook his mate's Boots for a urinal. And so for the next 15 years was called Boots. Maybe you've been called a name based on something you made a mistake with. But it doesn't matter what name you were given. Maybe right now you're recalling names that you were given and maybe they were loving and endearing names and they bring a smile to your face as you think about the beautiful names that your parents called you. Or maybe you were given names in a teasing and hurtful way and the names even now are eviscerating and debilitating for you. And actually they bring you pain just even while you're thinking about them. You know, sometimes we want names to describe us more than names that actually do describe us. Like, for example, do you know someone who's like, I'm wild! And you're like, you're the most straighty 180 person I know. And, uh, and so we sometimes want to identify with something that we're actually not. Do you, do, you, do you rush to try and find a title for yourself and you desperately want a business card and you want to put your title on that business card? Do you, do you go to Facebook and update your profile straight away with your new title so that everyone knows the new name that you've been given? Do you like to identify with a group of people? Do you, are you a Rotarian or a Lion? Do you, do you just get called a Lion if you're part of the Lions Club? 
This, is that not strange to you if you're part of the Lions Club? You're a lion. You're a lion. And you might be called an anti-feminist, a feminist, a, a, a Labour, a Liberal, a Clive Palmer, Donald Trump ripoff party person. A, 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 no, it's not called that. Um, you might be called, you might identify with the Shooters and Fishers party, Daniel Coleman. <laughs> but whatever it is that you like to identify with, they're just names. And yet there's a name. There's a name that's sung about, celebrated discussed and debated more than any other name. It's a name that saves, but it's also a name that polarizes. And it's a name that every song we've sung this morning mentions. It's a name that 2.3 billion people in 2015 identified with. The, the next largest group of people was half a billion people behind that. And these 2.3 billion people identified with the name of Jesus Christ. They call themselves Christians, Christians. And maybe they don't all fully understand what they identify with, but they have an affinity with this name. One man, 2,000 years ago, lived for 33 years and later has 2.3 billion followers. I'm 38. I'm expecting my name might last and be remembered maybe two generations. You'll probably all pass it on to your children and their children and their children. But apart from that, it'll die out. But Jesus' name is still sung about, celebrated like no other here this morning. So this morning we're going to look at one of Jesus' names. And I'll just warn you, it's not a name that is given in the Bible, okay, but it's not heresy. And on the way there, I'm going to mention a few different names. Because back in there, if we look at this setting when Jesus is just about to die on the cross, there's a two-tiered system of government. There's the Roman Empire, and then there's the local Jewish authorities that govern the land. They're the the vassals of the Roman Empire. And uh, Herod was the well-known one that we know from the Christmas story. But he had three sons that ruled after him, one of them being Antipas, Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist, one Archelaus. And Archelaus actually had 3,000 people killed at the temple and was later replaced with Pontius Pilate, another name that we know well. And so Pontius Pilate is here and Jesus has been brought to him to say, Confer your judgment on him, Pontius Pilate. We want to see him crucified. And they said, he's been causing uprisings. He's been causing riots. So confer your judgment on him. And it was Pilate's job to look at a Jewish man and say, well, which group of Jews does he belong to? There were four main groups of Jews, all names that people identified with. There were the Essenes who kind of lived a monastic lifestyle in the desert. They separated themselves way out from the rest of the Jewish people. And he could see, Pilate could see that, no, Jesus was definitely not one of those because he did nothing but get around the people and love the people and be with the people. And so maybe, maybe he was a Sadducee, but no, he couldn't be a Sadducee because the Sadducees compromised with the Roman Empire. They, they lived their lives in a way that they could be wealthy lay nobles. They could be people that, you know, held positions of power and authority. And Jesus railed against that kind of compromise and that kind of authority. So no, he couldn't be a Pharisee. Uh, sorry, a Sadducee. And that only left the Pharisees or the Zealots. And yet it was the Pharisees that were bringing him to Pilate, were bringing Jesus to Pilate. So either he just annoyed the Pharisees or he was what he was accused of, which was being a Zealot. Pilate doesn't know what to do. So he sends Jesus to, he says, oh, you're a Galilean? Okay, well, it's not really my jurisdiction head you I'm going to head you back to Herod Antipas the guy who killed Jesus cousin John the Baptist and Jesus just stands before Herod Herod was excited to meet him and uh, Herod Antipas and 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 Jesus just stood before him in every question he was just silent 
which had been prophesied thousands of years before that he would be, but just silent before the questioner. So Herod mocks him, abuses him, and sends him back to Pilate. And he comes back to Pilate, and Pilate says, I can't see anything in this man that is like what you've accused him of. And then Luke 23, 18 tells us that then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas to us. You see, we don't know much about Barabbas. If we watch the Passion of the Christ, he's portrayed as this madman, this psycho killer. And he has this kind of crazy face as he leers at people. We've only got four verses in the Gospels about Barabbas. And in Matthew 27, 16, it says, This year, the year of Jesus' trial, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. So he's a notorious prisoner. Mark chapter 15, verse 7 says, One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. So he was a notorious prisoner because he was a revolutionary and he had committed murder. Luke 23, 19 says in brackets, Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection against, in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So here we have an insurrectionist, Barabbas, an actual insurrectionist who rose up against the government, who murdered someone in order to throw off the Roman oppression. So here we have Jesus being accused of insurrection and Barabbas being an actual insurrectionist, and the crowd crying out, release Barabbas for being an insurrectionist and kill Jesus for being an insurrectionist. They was all messed up. The whole thing was messed up. You see, what they actually wanted was an insurrectionist. They wanted Jesus to be an insurrectionist. They wanted to throw off Roman oppression. They wanted to throw off Roman occupation. They wanted Jesus to be the person that would free them from everything that they knew in their physical life that was ailing them. They loved the zealots. You see, the zealots were like the Tamil Tigers or the IRA during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. They were people that went in and, and saw the only way to throw off the oppression would be violent uprising. And that's what Barabbas did. The irony is that Barabbas was the type of insurrectionist that the people wanted. But Jesus was the insurrectionist that the people needed. Jesus as one scholar wrote, posed a more radical threat to the established order than any armed person might do. Jesus posed more of a threat than any armed person might do. You see, Jesus is the king of all kings, and he has the name above all names. Jesus is the Lord of lords, and Jesus has the name above any other name. Jesus is the insurrectionist of insurrectionists, and he has the name above any other name. An insurrection is an act or an instance of rising in revolt, rebellion, or resistance against authority or establishment. So Jesus' insurrection was against humanity's greatest needs. It was against humanity, what humanity was most subject to and was most powerless to overcome. Jesus' insurrection was an insurrection against sin. He led an insurrection against sin. You see, we all felt like Paul, I'm sure, and sometimes still do when he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anyone identify with Paul this morning? Two or three of us. Others of you, you guys are so holy. I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> Romans 
chapter 7, Paul again says, What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come on. He is good. Who will free? He's got a life like ours that is dominated by sin and controlled by sin. And he says, I'm powerless and miserable, but I've got an answer. And the answer is the name above every other name. And it's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what does that answer mean? Let's keep reading in Romans. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. We're no longer powerless. We're no longer under the dominance and weight that sin had over us. But if we forget the power we have, or if we don't feel the power we have, if we don't know the power we have, if we don't live according to the power we have, listen to 1 John chapter 2. It says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin because now you have a name that's above the name of sin. It's the name of Jesus. I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Oh, that's something to celebrate here this morning. So good. An insurrection that was led against the power of sin over our world and our lives. He didn't just lead it against sin, this insurrection. This insurrectionist led a rebellion against death. Because we're powerless against death, aren't we? It's still one for one. We're still all going to die. And even, we don't even not want to die. We don't want to get to the place where, where decay ravages our bodies and our minds. It's not that we don't want to die. It's just that what is it after death, as the poet writes, it's not death that we fear. It's to be we know not what and we know not where. It's this nebulous whatever-ish thing forever. What does it look like? What is it? And that's what causes us unease. But Jesus led an insurrection against that as well. In Romans chapter 8, 21, he says, The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Come on. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Church, one day our bodies will be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So good. So good. The Apostle John had a revelation on the Isle of Padmos where he saw Jesus. And in Revelations chapter 1, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. The one who holds the keys of death and the grave is the one who loves us and will use those keys on our behalf. No one had ever dared to lead an insurrection against death, against sin, against hell and the grave but the insurrection that Jesus led, he accomplished in one weekend. 
he finished the work and he rose again, conquering death, hell and the grave. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Celebrate. Is anyone still a real Christian in here and brought an actual Bible to church? Anyone? Frank, of course you did. I need to borrow your Bible, please, Frank, because I left mine in someone's car when I ran out of fuel on the way to Armidale. Thank you, Frank. Holy Bible. You see, this whole book from beginning to end is about Jesus. He is the name above every other name. He holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He is risen this morning. He has the power not only over sin and death and hell and the grave, but over everything in your life that you carry, that you say that I have to hang on to and I have to bear this and I have to wear the shame of this. No, he has conquered it all. And you see, right from the start, if you went to the start of your Bible to the, the, the contents, you could see that every book here actually contains Jesus. You see, in Genesis... In Genesis, he's a sacrificial ram that's caught in a thicket. In Exodus, he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's actually, um, what is he in Leviticus? Let me think for a moment. Actually, I've got it written down. That's even better. In Leviticus, yeah. In Leviticus, he's a high priest. Thanks, Candy. <laughs> in Numbers, he's a saving one, lifted up for those who are cursed and ready to save them. In Deuteronomy, He becomes our curse. In Joshua, He's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, He's administering justice. In Ruth, He's our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, He's our prophet, priest and king. In 1 and 2 Kings, He's our reigning king forevermore. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, He's the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. In Ezra, He's the priest that's declaring freedom to come. In Nehemiah, He's the restorer of broken down walls. In Esther, He's our protector. In Job, He's the mediator for all of mankind. In Psalms, He's our song in the morning and in the night. In Proverbs, He's wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, He's the meaning of life. In the Song of Songs, He's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, He's our suffering servant. In Jeremiah, He's the weeping prophet. And in Lamentations, He assumes God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, He's the son of man. In Daniel, in Daniel, He's the other in the fire. In Hosea, He is faithful and has faithful love for us even when we are unfaithful. In Joel, He promises to pour out His Spirit upon all people. And in Amos, He's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, He's our mighty Saviour. In Jonah, He's the missionary. In Micah, He comes along and He's cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, He declares a world peace in the future that none of us could even fathom. In Habakkuk, He's a warrior administering justice. 
in Zephaniah, he's a mighty warrior as well. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he's our pierced son. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness that brings healing. Church, let's come to our feet this morning. Because in Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the head of the church. In Romans, he's actually coming along and he is our very life. In Ephesians, he's the unity of the church. In Philippians, he's the joy of our life. In Colossians, he is the one who is the supreme ruler over all things. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is a comfort in the last days. In 1 Timothy, he is the forgiver of the worst of sinners. In 2 Timothy, he's the master builder. In Titus, he is the one who is the foundation of our faith. In Philemon, he's our mediator. In Hebrews, he's our high priest. In James, he's the mature of our faith. In 1 and 2 Peter, he is our hope in times of suffering. In 1, 2 and 3 John, he's our everlasting love. In Jude, he's our saviour. And in Revelations, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, who's our soon coming King and who is declaring that he has life and he has a name above all names. He's a name above all names. There is power in the name of Jesus. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.